So today we're going to talk about that letter C, which is choose. You have the power to make a choice. And, and we make decisions every day, right? Um, every day, research, I don't know how they figure this out, but research says that you and I make 35,000 decisions every day. We make 226 decisions a day just about food. Now, some of us need to make a little less decisions about food, but 226 decisions. So between the ages of 18 and 72, this is what I had to look at, an adult will on average make 689,850,000 decisions. Nearly 670 million decisions is what we're going to make. Everything from what you're going to wear to what you're going to eat to who you're going to vote for. I'm just seeing if it got quiet there. It's not a political message, but it's a decision, right? And of those millions, hundreds of millions of decisions that we make, I believe that the decisions we make about our finances have a pretty big impact on our lives. Would you agree with that? A pretty big impact on our lives. Here's, here's a lie that the devil would like you and I to believe. He would like you and I to believe that no matter what choices we make, we're always going to live in lack. The devil would like you to believe that it's just your lot in life. Bad stuff's going to happen. You're going to live in lack. You're never going to have enough. Get used to it. That's what the devil would like you to believe, would like me to believe. But the problem is that that contradicts everything that the Bible says is true about you. I'm going to switch microphones over because I just literally forgot to do that because I got caught up. Hello, hello. Test, test, test. Did I flip it the wrong way? Am I up? Can you hear me? There I am. It contradicts everything. You have the power to choose. Everybody say, I have the power. Let me, let me give you a biblical illustration of that. Deuteronomy 30. You'll see it on the screen, but if you want to look at it, Deuteronomy 30, I'm going to start in verse 15. Now, keep in mind, this is Moses we're going to read he's, these words, but these are Moses' deathbed words. He's coming to the end of his life, and what deposit is he going to leave in his people? These are his deathbed words. They, they matter, right? Verse 15, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed." You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. That you and your children may live. He's saying God didn't create you just to survive. God didn't create you to get by. God created you to live a life in the New Testament, a life abundantly. To live a life of generosity, a life of hope and joy and full of grace and mercy. That's the life God created you for. 
But Moses, his deathbed words, he says, I set before you blessing and cursing. And what is the difference, the one difference between what you and I are going to experience, blessing or cursing? Did you catch it there? Choice. Verse 19, it said, you choose. You choose. See, there is power in your choice, in my choice. And as we apply this to the topic of today of our financial freedom, there are too many Christians walking around hopeless and powerless when it comes to their finances. They think they can't do anything to get themselves into a different situation in their finances. They believe that lie from the enemy that, nope, that's always going to be your lot in life. That's just you. you you're just going to have bad stuff to happen to you, and you know, you're, you're going you know, to get sick and have a bunch of medical bills. And then as soon as you pay those medical bills off, then the car is going to break down. And as soon as you can you know, get a car that's functioning, and then you're going to pay that off, and, and then the, the HVAC unit is going to go out in your house. Get used to it. If you, that was your week this week, I'm, this message is for you. Because you and I have the power to choose. We do not have to play the victim. We do not have to live a life feeling powerless to change our circumstances. God has given us the ability to do that one thing. Blessing, cursing, you choose. Everybody say, I choose. See, nobody else can choose for you, but you can choose. I, I kind of had this theme, I guess, in the last few messages. Could you just reach up to heaven like this and then pull your hands down and kind of grab your fists like this, like you mean something. Now, as you do it, we're going to do this. We're going to do it quick. We're going to say, take it back. Are you ready on the count of three? Now, I need, I need some power here. We're taking back power, our power to choose on the count of three. One, two, three. Take it back. That was okay. We need to do it again. I need a little more. Uh, uh, a little more. Here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Take it back. How'd that feel? Like, it felt good, didn't it? Like, there's something there. And we're not just doing a physical motion. I'm trying to remind us what God has put on the inside of us, that he did not create you to be a victim. He did not create you to be powerless. He gave you power, and that power is in your ability to choose. And that's what Moses is laying out for him. Guys, people of Israel, you, you have had a track record of not choosing well. But I have created you with the power to be able to choose. I uh, saw this illustration in a book this week that I was reading, and uh, I thought I'd share it with you. Can I see that? Well, make that a little darker there. So you've got two curves in your life that you can choose. Everybody say, I choose. This one down here, you choose this one, you end up in failure. But if you choose this curve up here, you end up in success. What's the difference between the two? It's choice. And there's an attitude, a mentality, because if you 
are on this line. See how they start out kind of the same? They look pretty much the same. But there's a point at which you have to make a decision if you want to change your trajectory. The primary attitude of this curve is blame. A victim mentality that I'm not going to take responsibility. I'm going to blame other people. I'm going to blame my circumstances. I'm going to blame the hand I was dealt by my upbringing, by my family, by whatever, what I married into, the abusive environment I came in, or I was born into wealth and nobody ever taught me how to manage money, and so I'm going to blame, 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 blame. And the more you blame, the more you play the victim, the more you take that position of powerlessness, inevitably, you're going to end up here. But if you want success, how many want success in your life? The Bible says that God desires that we prosper in all things, just as our soul prospers, that we prosper in all things. So I'm not talking about an empty success of money and recognition. No, 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 no. I'm talking about that deep, we've got peace in our heart with Jesus, and we've got the ability to be generous to others as well. And if we want that, there's another attitude. I it is, Pastor, you're right. There's pressure up here when you're spelling stuff. I was like, responsibility, that was a long word. Everybody say responsibility. If you want to have success in your life, if you want to be all that God created you to be, accomplish all that he destined for you to accomplish, it's not going to come by having an attitude of blame, of powerlessness, of victimhood. It's going to come when we take responsibility for the life that he's given us and to do the things that he's called us to do. And so we're going to talk about that today, that we have the power to choose. Everybody say, I choose. And you've got to take back that power to choose. And so what's the choice that I'm going to challenge you with today? See, we're going to choose to tithe. Yeah, okay, the usher's already locked the door, so you're stuck. Choose the tithe. No, I, I say that in jest, but you're here. Some people avoided church today because they knew we were preaching this. The fact that you're here tells me you're ready to take back power. The fact that you're here says you want to have a successful life for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for the benefit of your soul and those attached to your life. And so today I'm setting before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And part of this area with these finances, the number one question you and I have to answer is this. Will I choose to tithe? Will I choose it? Will I make a decision to put God first? Because here's the deal. The tithe is the uh, starting point for financial obedience. And it's got to be the cornerstone of our financial planning. So one, it's the starting point, but it's also got to be a cornerstone that it's not going to budge. When we put this in place, we're not going to back up off of that. We're going to do exactly what God called us to do, to step into the level of freedom that he desires for you to have. And we've said it, I think about every week here, this, this series is not about getting something from you. It's about getting something for you, a level of freedom that God created you for. But you can't have it until... I can't have it until we make this decision that we are going to choose to tithe. So I want to start out here, and I want to lay a little bit of a foundation about what the Bible says about tithing. Then I'm going to go kind of at the end. I'll close out with three reasons that we should tithe. 
other than the reason the Bible makes it crystal clear, completely clear that we should tithe. Um, so if you want to turn, you probably won't be able to keep up because I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures because when preachers start talking about money, too many preachers give opinion, and we don't give opinion here. We give what the Bible says. So Matthew 23, 23, it's in red letters. Not only because people get this hang-up and they say, oh, the tithe, that's Old Testament. Oh, I'm under grace. I'm not under the law. Here's the deal. The tithe existed before the law, 400 years before the law. It existed during the time of the law. And it has existed and maintained after the law in the New Testament under the new covenant of grace with Jesus Christ. So it's not old covenant. Matthew 23, 23, in the red letters, Jesus says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers and teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Everybody say, you should tithe. This is Jesus talking. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You should tithe. I should tithe. That's what Jesus said. And some people like to argue this point even. They'll be like, well, that's the only place that Jesus talks about the tithe. That's the only place he says it. Now, I understand if your mommy or your daddy told you to do something once, you're not going to do it. But if Jesus tells me to do something once, that's enough for me. Just once, he says, you should tithe. And that is enough for me. Now, there's a hallmark scripture in Malachi 3.10. It's one that you hear often if you come here because it's foundational to this idea of the tithe. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say, whole tithe? The whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, the verse does not say, it does not say that God is testing you. The verse says, God says, test me. When we tithe, and by the way, it's the only place in the Bible where Jesus says, hey, test me in this. Try me in this. The only place in the Bible. And what's it talking about? It's talking about money, about finances. This is not one of those areas where they're like, oh, people like to argue. and That's not talking about money. It's talking about other stuff. No, this is very specifically talking about money. A little earlier, it says that you robbed me in tithes and offerings before it gets to this verse. And so it's a test that we're testing God. See, we're testing. It's not testing our faith. It's testing the faithfulness of God. When you tithe, it's not about your faith. It's about the faithfulness of God. What if we took God at his word and we tested him to see how many think God can pass any test we give him? And yet we often overlook this verse and we say, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go with that. And so we never discover God's faithfulness in this area. I mean, many of us have discovered God's faithfulness in a whole lot of areas of our life, but we've never tested God in this area of our finances. And see, there's certain things that we need to know that we know that we know that we know about the character of God. Things like what we sang in this last song, that he loves us, that we're loved just as we are, not as we should be. We need to know that, don't we? 
Because I don't know about you, but I jack stuff up a whole lot, and I need the grace of Jesus to make it through a week to know that he still loves me even when I fail. But if you don't test him in this area of finances, you're never going to develop that personal history, that track record. It's like my wife. She's not here this morning, so I can talk about her as much as I want. It's Valentine's weekend anyways, and so like my wife, we've been married coming up on 18 years. She has been my Valentine for 19 years in a row. And there are things that I know about her. Uh, I mean, I feel like I know more about her than myself on some days. And so there's things that I know about my wife that, that I just know. I know that if she's in a situation and a loved one, a friend, a family member, actually sometimes a stranger, if they are in need and she has the ability to sacrifice something to meet that need, I can tell you every time she's going to sacrifice. She's going to give it to them. She's going to help that person out. I know about my wife that there's a fine line. I can sing to her in public, embarrassingly so, like profess my love and just be really loud. Did it not that long ago. It was kind of fun. And, but there's a fine line because if I go too long, then I'm in the doghouse. But if I go just enough to be hopeless, romantic, and cute, I'm safe, okay? So I know if I cross that line, I'm busted and I'm in trouble. I know about my wife that if I do something to hurt her, to really wound her emotionally, I know she's not going to like it, and it's going to hurt, but I know that eventually she's going to forgive me and continue to love me. She's going to continue to love me. And you know what? Sometimes she'll love me a little more because when we go through those dark moments, those difficult days, the love becomes stronger. And so I know the character of my wife. I know her love towards me is steadfast and unshakable, regardless of what any of you do or say, regardless of what I do. She's going to love me still. We've got a history that has taught me that. What if we had that kind of history with our Heavenly Father of trusting Him in this area of our finances? That because we trusted Him with that little bill that had to be paid and we didn't know how we we're going to pay it and we prayed and we believed instead of bouncing a check we trusted God and we waited for God and then he did it and that developed a track record and when we started to tithe and and we didn't know how we we're going to tithe we didn't know if we could tithe but we trusted him and we did it when we didn't have very much and it developed a track record so that when we had more it was easier to tithe not harder to tithe What if we develop that kind of track record with our Heavenly Father that said, you know what? In this area of finances, he's more trustworthy than me. (laughs) Does anybody believe that? That God is more trustworthy with your money than you are with your money. Uh, I know that's true in my life, that he is more trustworthy. His direction is better than my direction when it comes to my finances. So let me give you a a couple definitions here of tithing. Um, Number one, returning the first 10% of what God gives us back to him. That's what tithing is. Uh, This is basic. I'm going to teach a little bit because I think we've got to get this. It's returning the first 10%. Everybody say 10% back to God. Leviticus 2730, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. See, the tithe is returning to God what already belongs to him. Tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedience. 
Do you catch the difference? Next week, we'll talk about generosity and the blessings attached to that. But you can't get generosity, the blessing of generosity in your life, until you lay a foundation of tithing. It's like um, you can try and, if this is uh, the land, and you're like, I want to build a house. I want to build a house. Well, if you're going to build a house, you can't go up here and put up walls first. What's going to happen if you put up those walls? They're not attached to anything. They're not grounded in anything. They have no foundation, and so those walls are what? They're going to fall down. But if you will first lay a foundation that goes down deep into the ground, and you have a strong foundation, and you put these footers in, and then you put those walls in, and they have something to ground themselves in, then the winds come, and the storms come, the hurricane comes, and what? They're steadfast. They remain because you put in the foundation first. That's what tithing does for us in our area of our finances, of trusting God in that area. We put a foundation first, and we say, you know what? I'm going to return to God what is God's. I need a a little volunteer in the audience. Who's who's got some cash on you? I know not many people. I need somebody with cash. Pull out some cash. I need to borrow five bucks, a buck. What you got? Who's got it? All right. That'll work. That'll work. Hook me up. Okay. Thank you. So she's giving me $20. Now, she gave this to me. You can trust me with this. I'll take care of it, okay? But if I walk around with this $20, and I start to forget about her, I start to think, I'm getting hungry. Lunch is coming. I don't really need to return this to her. Maybe if I hold on to it till the end of the message, she'll forget all about it. And it becomes comfortable, and it becomes mine instead of hers. I get attached to this, and instead of her entrusting me with it and me returning it back to her, I start to think it's mine. Come on, let's apply that to our own finances, right? God blesses you. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, right? So any money you have in your pocket, it's not yours. This is what we talked about with attitude. We've got to shift our attitude that it's not mine, it's all his. Everybody say, it's his. We've got to shift our attitude. And so... God entrusted this to us, and he's not even asking for the whole 20 bucks back. He's just asking, hey, return to me what's mine, which is what? How much of this? 10%. He's saying, give me 10% back. But too often, we get attached to this, and we forget where it came from. Thank you for $20. I'm just kidding. What do I mean? No, I'm just kidding. Everybody say it's his. Let me give you another definition. Because here's another question people ask. If I give my tithe, my money, to somebody else in need, is it still a tithe? Right? I mean, or if, if, <laughs> if I have a need, I mean, I'm God's child, you know, and so paying my bills, God would want me to do that, right? And so that's, I kind of tithe to myself, but, you know, that's okay, right? Let, let's answer that with a scripture. Uh, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Everybody say, first fruits? With the first fruits of all your crops. Then, everybody say, then. See, it's a byproduct of a choice that we make to honor him with our first fruits. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So here's the deal. Tithing, it's giving God the first and best so that the rest can be blessed. 
First fruits, the first and the best. So if I give you $10, what belongs to God, and I count out 10 $1 bills, what belongs to God is not the last $1 bill, it's the first $1 bill. Because he gets the first and he gets the best. And here's, people think that when I get money, then I'll give back to God. Like, I'm just trying to get by right now. When I have more money, I'll become generous. I'll bless people. But that's not how it works. Statistically, the more money you make, the less generous you are. The more money you make, the less likely you are to tithe and return 10% back to God. Many millionaires, extremely wealthy people, If you ask them about this issue of tithing, some of them, they don't even have a relationship with God, and yet they've tapped into the biblical principle of tithing, and they still give back that 10%. But many of them will tell you, yes, I give away millions of dollars every year, but the only reason I do that is because on my first paycheck, I gave God 10%. And I got used to returning to God what was his instead of holding on to it for myself. There's a power of us recognizing that it's not mine, that the first gets returned to God. We don't give God leftovers, right? He gets the first. Let me give you, let me finish out. Is that helping anybody? So we're laying a biblical foundation now. Now I want to finish up with three reasons we should tithe. Other than the fact that Jesus said we should, And that the Bible makes it abundantly clear. Let me give you three reasons we should tithe. Number one, we tithe because tithing provides for God's work through the church. Tithing provides for God's work through the church. Um, How many know that the work of ministry isn't free? Do you know that Kentucky Utilities, they still expect us to pay the utility bill? Like, I mean, there, there may be some Christians there in the organization, but they still send us a bill. Can you believe that? And guess what? Our bill's a lot bigger than yours because this is a big facility. And it takes resource, financial resource, to do the work of building up God's kingdom in the earth. And Jesus, God sent Jesus to establish the church in the earth. God loves the church. I love the church. You should love the church because the church is the hope of the world. There are lost, hurting, broken people out there. And if we don't provide them the hope, if we don't show them the love of God and remind them that they're loved just as they are, not as they should be, if the church doesn't do that, they're going to walk around in hopelessness and powerlessness. We have a responsibility to fulfill the mission that God has given us. And the way that God determined to resource resource the work of the church is the tithe. God did not determine to finance the work of the church through bake sales and spaghetti dinner fundraisers. He knew that if the body of Christ who love him, who are called his children, gathered together, and if they all would just do the foundational starting point obedience and managing their finances of bringing the tithe, that the church of Jesus Christ would have more than enough finance to do all that God called them to do. Because you tithe, the work of this ministry is happening every single week, every day. You got this as you came in. 
If you, if you got this, go ahead and pull it out as you're sitting there and look at this with me for a moment. Because, because of you, the vision of moving forward together, this was a vision initiative we started uh, over a year and a half ago in May of 2015. Because of you, the vision of moving forward together is happening. God is doing it right in front of our eyes, and it is financed because of the tithes and offerings of this congregation. I mean, you look at there, we've given away this year, just this year, not even two whole months, 5,482 meals through our food bank into our community. Is that not awesome? This worship team is at a whole nother level because Part of MFT was hiring a worship leader who could lead this group and draw in musicians and vocalists and build a team. This is at a whole nother level. You got things like the, the VIP and parking lot ministry. Um, people coming in, and I had one guy, there's a quote on there, but it was a conversation I had with him, and he said, man, I expected to come in. I saw the website and all. I expected good preaching. I expected good music. He said, but what blew me away was the way that I was loved by people coming in this door. And he said, he, he's been in ministry before. He said, I've never seen it done better. And that's what a VIP in a parking lot ministry just said. You know what? We're going to resource things so that we can love people. That's our job. We get to love people better than anybody in the world. The church of Jesus Christ should get to love people. I mean, you see what's happening in the redefine. I mean, we're standing on the shoulders of what's happened the last nine years, and we're ready to go into a whole nother level of what God is doing in this house. I mean, it's ready to explode of what God's doing. You see what's happening with the ABCs of financial freedom, 120 people. Here's, here's how that connects to MFT. When you get free, guess what? When you're financially free, when you're stepping into obedience in the area of the tithe and then moving forward into generosity, do you think that affects the church a little bit? Yeah, it does, because then you're released to do what God asks you to do to finance the work of the kingdom of God. And we just do it through a simple step of obedience. We've got a new middle school ministry that's happening every Sunday morning. Almost 30 students happening every Sunday morning with that. Now, let's just talk about this. 743 people have moved from death to life through Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. This is why we exist, church. This is why we exist. <laughs> it's, uh, he has it. <laughs> think the angels in heaven are Come doing on. right now? What do you think you should do right now? What should you do? What should you do? I think you should stand up and give honor to God for 740 plus people. No, no, you don't, you don't get it. Over 700 people on their way to hell. Come on. If your life brought one person to Christ, it would make it a greater accomplishment than being the president of this nation or any nation in the world. If you brought one person from the depths of hell and put them in the kingdom of God, your life was worth more than anything you could ever buy, save, earn, do, or accomplishment. I'm not mad at you. I'm just daddy. And I couldn't sit in a church that didn't celebrate Come on. new souls being one. God Come bless on. you. 
This is why we exist, church. To keep it in front of our eyes that we're here to love a hopeless and dying world. That they need what we have. And every time we come together, all those ministries, everything listed on there, it's not about creating an awesome experience, which it does. It's about leading people to Jesus. It's about lifting up the name of Jesus, not a, an organization, not a person, not an individual, not a title. It's about lifting up the name of Jesus because the Bible says that when we lift up the name of Jesus, we will draw all men to him. And that's our heart. That's our goal. And so when we give, when you make a decision to tithe, it resources what God is doing to build his kingdom through this church. And, you know, you look on there, there's big numbers that we set over two years, a goal of $2.4 million. And we're a little behind our target. Well, more than a little, we're about $200,000 behind that target over two years, right? But just so you know, our giving is up over that same period. We're just not hitting the goal that we set yet. Here's the deal. If we had 100% of people today make a decision that you call this church your home and you said, I'm going to tithe, if we had 100% of tithers, we, we would catch up that $200,000 and blow it out. If we had 100% tithers over a two-year period, 2.4 would be like half of what we could do together to build the kingdom of God so that people can know the love of Jesus. So I get a little passionate about this because we are the hope of the world. You and me, we're the hope of the world. This is not an organization. This is the people of God doing what the people of God do together. And that's our responsibility. We get to give. We get to further the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what we get to do when we tithe, when we give generously above that. Let me give you another reason that we tithe. Tithing teaches us to put God first. Deuteronomy 14.23 says, the purpose of the tithe is to teach you always to put God first. We develop the habit of putting him first, and it puts us in a greater level of faith. Let me read you just real quick. i got to kind of hurry here, but a couple Bethel stories of people that have tried this out. They tested God over this last year. Travis and Rachel said this, since we began tithing regularly about a year ago, we have seen a monumental return on our money, not just financially, but in our marriage, our family, and the overall quality of our lives. Before we took the leap of faith to begin tithing, do you hear that? It takes faith to do what's right, to obey the word of God. Before we took the leap of faith to tithe, I would have laughed at the thought of being able to afford to give the amount that we are. Yet here we are, one year later, about to be without credit card debt for the first time in our relationship and in better financial shape than we've ever been. They broke the bondage of debt. We were even able to provide a significant financial blessing for someone else this past year, and we never would have dreamed of doing that. Making the decision to trust God fully and wholeheartedly with our finances was not easy, but it was definitely a great one, and God has, without a doubt, blessed us. That is the reality, the power of taking that step. Sarah and Chris said, Sarah and I started to tithe faithfully January of last year. Money was never a fear for me, but it was, or for Sarah, but it was for me. After I got saved, I decided to go all in to give tithe, the 10% tithe. After, God, after all God did in our marriage, I honestly thought that the least I could do was be faithful in the tithe. In this past year, we've been blessed in many ways because of our obedience to God. Tithing not only blessed our finances, but it also opened our heart, my heart, to want to serve. Serving on Sunday mornings, hosting a connect group is something I never would have thought I could do before I was saved. Letting go of all fear and worry with our finances was the first step. Everybody say first step. 
the first step. Somehow the money is always there at the end of the month and sometimes more than expected. Pay God first and the rest will work itself out. When we put God first, when we do what he asks us to do, God takes the limits off of our lives. That verse in Malachi 3, that, that, the third reason to tithe is it builds our faith in God. And let me just come back to Malachi 3.10. It said that if we'll bring our tithe and offering to God, he will open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not room enough to contain it. Now, many of you have heard that verse before. Can I ask a question? Why would we avoid that? Why would we make excuses not to do what will result in that kind of blessing? And yet that is what so many in the body of Christ do. We make excuses why we can't tithe, why we won't tithe. But when we tithe, the promise attached to it is that God will open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there's not room enough to contain it. The floodgates of heaven, it says. Not a drizzle, not a drip, but everything God wants to pour out into our life. Now understand, there are plenty more things in life that are more important than finances, right? A relationship with Jesus that we just celebrated, a healthy marriage, healthy friendships, physical health. These are all things more important than money. But not, let's not neglect the promises of God and his desire to bless us in a financial way. Because that's what the Bible says, that he wants to pour out his blessings on you. But it all comes back to what? The power that we have to choose. The power that we have to choose to make a choice. And today I am challenging you to take back your power to choose obedience, to choose the life that God created you for. Because when you do that, you step into a greater level of faith, a greater level of trusting in God, and a greater level of blessing so that you can be a blessing to others, but it will not. You know, God gave us a word in this house that this, this year God is taking the limits off in every area of our lives. You know what? That's not going to happen if we don't put God first in our finances. We gotta put him first, and that is the challenge. We've got to make a choice. So I want you to bow your heads for a moment, and I wanna ask you right now. You, you don't need to work this up or, or really pray about it. You just have to exercise the power to choose. And so if for you today, some of you, you've never tithed. Some of you, you tithed in the past faithfully, but you've stopped. You've gotten away from it. But today, I'm praying that God reminds you of how he blessed, protected, and provided for you when you were tithing so you'll get back to that discipline, that habit, that choice of obedience in your life. Some of you are tithing, you're going to continue to do that, and, and you're thinking, okay, God, how do you want me to step into generosity? But if today your decision is, I'm going to for the first time, or I'm choosing to get back into that discipline, that habit, that choice of obedience to tithe, would you just, nobody's looking around except me, just this is you and God, your power to choose. You're taking back your power in your life. This is foundational starting point stuff. And if today you're saying, you know what, my choice is I'm going to be a tither, I choose to tithe. Would you slip your hand up? Wow. 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 You can set your hands down. Can I, and you may think this is weird, but I feel the presence of God so strong in this room right now because you have just exercised a choice that the devil has been fighting and trying to hold you back from. 
I'm going to pray over you and every person in this room. Jesus, I thank you for those taking back their power to live in obedience to your word, God. I thank you for what you're going to do in their lives as they trust you more, as they build their faith to trust you in this area, God that you're going to take the limits off of their lives. And God, it's not just about a financial blessing, but God, they're going to be able to bless your kingdom as they walk in obedience, God. And God, I thank you for this church, that we are a church that is all about not ourselves, but the world that you've called us to reach. And God, use every person. God, give them the courage, give them the right conversations to have, give them the right tools and resources, God, to take this bold step, God. God, I pray for everybody in this room, God, that you'd challenge their heart if they haven't been coming on these Wednesday nights to get out here this week, God, to be encouraged to hear stories of, that are gonna build them up and get tools to resource them, God, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the last thing I wanna do. We're talking about putting God first, right? If you're here today and you've never made a decision spiritually to put him first, I want to make a challenge to you, and I'm not going to do an altar call here like we usually do, but right through those double doors right out here. If you've never made that decision to put him first, would you make the best decision of your life? Walk through those doors and walk into that room and let somebody grab your hand and pray with you today because that's why they're here every single week in that care room right across that hall to help you take that next step in your faith. And uh, we believe that it's the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life.